it went straight down the middle. Then it started to... Let's do the PGA Championship justice here at Firestone. Uh, Al, you won that by four over Dudley Wysong you mentioned earlier, even par 280. You led after 18 holes. Uh, you were one behind 54-year-old Sam Snead after 36. <laughs> you remember that? Right, yeah. And I played with, played with. Uh, I think that, didn't he leap in the air and hurt his hip or something? He did it during that round when he played with me. He just missed a putt, and he was so flexible, he could leap in the air, and he he flipped around, and when he landed, he, he kind of hurt his hip or something. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Sam was still playing then, too. So you you led by four after three rounds, and then uh, and then uh, you start on Sunday with three bogeys in the first four holes. What was going through your mind? Do you remember? <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Uh, in fact, I got a good story about that. Um, yes, I was leading. Uh, what was I leading by? Four. Three? By four. four yeah. By four, and then and then next thing you know, you're it's only two. I think after that stretch, right? Yeah. And I bogeyed one, one, two, or three. I don't know, but anyway, on the part three, the fifth hole, I think it's the fifth hole at Firestone. I hold about a fifteen footer for a, birdie, for a birdie, and that got me turned around, and and then I just started going from there. And what was funny is many years later, Ken Venturi was doing the announcing. And Ken says, I forgot when he brought it up, he said, you know, Al, when you made that putt on the fifth hole at Firestone, that turned you around for you winning that tournament because I came back and then won it by four, which uh, is amazing. But I was more amazed that Ken remembered that, you know. He yeah. was announcing announcing then, and, and he remembered that. And I went, oh, my gosh, you're right, because I did. Remember that, Bruce? Do you remember that part three? It's kind of I do. Yeah, long one. Yeah, long. Yeah, long. Well, well, it was long then. Uh, well, well if, you look at the, uh, if you look at the front nine, after making three bogeys in the first four holes, between five and nine, the two hardest holes were the ones that you birdied. <laughs> five and nine. Five, five was five and nine. And nine. Remember nine? We used to think it was so long, and now the guys yeah. have wedges. <laughs> yeah, I know. For our listeners, that was the 50th uh, edition of the PGA Championship. And do you guys remember you were supposed to play that tournament somewhere else that year? Yeah, yeah I can't remember where. Columbine, Columbine Country Club, but they'd had a the river, to go, Columbine River going by. They had, they had a flood, and they... And Firestone was always ready. It was a beautifully won tournament. Yeah. And they uh, uh, just switched right over and, and right when, and moments notice. It was, so I guess that was a good break. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that change of venue worked out pretty well for you. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I went to Columbine the next year. Do you have any records in front of you there? Um, and I lost. I won by four at Firestone, lost by two to Don January and Don Massigill. I think they had a playoff. That. Yep, yep, you were you were T5. And I was two shots back. So technically I won the PGA for two years because I won by <laughs> four and lost by two. So I was two shots ahead for two years. 
<laughs> well, that's a good way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> On a sad note, something else happened that day that really affected all of us a great deal was when Tony and his oh. wife, Betty, died in that plane crash right after right after you'd won the tournament there. That was a sad day for most people, but a great day for yeah, you. Yeah, um... Remember back then, Bruce, they used to block out uh, within a 100-mile radius of the tournament and no TV? Yeah. Do you remember those? Uh, they thought that would I do make remember. the galleries come instead of watching it on TV. And so it was blocked out. And I finished that day, and it was done, and I won. And so I went. we were staying with relatives in Canton, Ohio. And uh, right. we went back, and we had a little, you know, a little party afterwards and we were watching the replay see that they would show it later and during that replay is when the flash came over the tv that tony lima and his wife had been killed and oh boy that was uh that was kind of an airline strike there was semi strike where it was hard to get flights and i think he chartered a flight because that yeah you probably know that better than i do that uh yeah, that was a, you don't know how to act. You're having a happy moment. You want a major, and then all of a sudden, boom. That was uh a... So you know what he was supposed to do the next day? He was supposed to f- do his little exhibition, then fly to San Francisco. And he and Betty and my wife Gloria and I had reservations to go to Australia. Oh, my God. So... uh uh, you know, I, w- I don't know where I was, but I was traveling somewhere. Getting, I think I had a little ex- exhibition to do the next day too, and it wasn't until the next morning that I found out. And that was a, that was a sort of a miserable Monday. Uh, it was. Did you do the thing in Columbus? I think I played in a pro-am in Columbus. I think that might have been what we did. And then I... We all went down there for a one-day thing. And... Yeah. 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 Sad day. So talking about tough times, uh, I believe that you had a bit of a tough time from uh, 1966 to 1974. We didn't. We look on your record. We don't see any victories. What was going on? I don't know. I I don't. Rem- I didn't win. So uh, I wasn't starving to death, but I. I but no. I, and Dave Stockton and I won the CBS Golf Classic. In 69, 70, and 71. That's plenty of money. Uh, You're right. I didn't win anything. But when I did win was in Las Vegas in 74, right? Do you have that there? Uh, And 70. That's it. That was the year Johnny Miller won. Did he win seven tournaments or eight? Yeah. Something like that. I think he won both in the desert. I just won one and eight, and Johnny Miller's won eight and one here. (laughs) 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 And I remember that when I won that tournament at Las Vegas, we played at uh, Sahara, Sahara, I think. Sahara. Yeah. I'm riding in a taxi to the airport. And the guy said, well, what are you here for? And I said, oh, I'm playing in the tournament like that. And he said, well, who won it? And I went, oh, 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 I guess uh, I me. did. 
I just remember <laughs> that, you know, I'd gone so long without winning. Uh, then you start to feel like you'll never win. Uh, then I then that got me in the tournament champions and, and, and uh, won the tournament champions. I think that's it. Have I got the order wrong? That's right. You got it. You sure do. And that was in a playoff with, uh, you remember who the playoff was with? Yes, Gary Player. And he counts every playoff as a win. Playoffs <laughs> don't count. So that, that's why okay. he adds them all into his overall victory. <laughs> I remember that because I three-putted the last hole at the tournament champions and put me in a playoff. And I remember going out there, I was so bummed that I had three-putted from about 30 feet. And remember the 18th hole at Costa? It was a pretty tough hole, actually. And, Very and tough. And I got in that first hole, I hold about a 20-footer. I mean, that was amazing. A big slope on it. And, but it, we had to go back to the 15th or 16th hole. I can't remember. The one in the corner down there. But, uh, yeah, Gary yeah, wasn't too happy 15th. with me holding that, that putt. but. <laughs> well, you had also finished second there to Nicholas in 1964. Bruce Devlin finished second in that tournament in 1971, also to Nicholas, I think. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we uh, Bruce and I have a few more championships if it wasn't for coming up in the Nicholas. <laughs> for Nicholas. <laughs> so, what did what did you, were you and I finish second at the TFC at, in 71? Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me, one in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pan and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Yeah, I sure did. Wow. Yeah, we both finished second, yeah. As a matter of fact, I I flew out there with Jack, and I flew back with Jack uh, for, to Florida, and it was... Uh, you know, I said, you know, you could you could at least let me win one. You know, he beats beat me in a playoff for the Australian yeah. Open, and I thought, you know, finishing second to him all the time. I guess that's not too bad, though. Well, let's let's pick it up with other victories. Then uh, we talked a little bit about the Tournament of Champions, but uh, let's talk about that uh, uh, second, as you mentioned, in its existence, the second Tournament Players Championship, which was at Colonial Country Club down Texas, is. Our listeners are very familiar with that event and the other tournament there. That was by three over your hunting buddy. Over Dave, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And Dave came back and won it, I think, the next year or something. With, uh, are you talking about the players? Yeah, we, we, yeah. Ta- we did talk to Dave about his victory there. but uh, uh, That was the start. The year before was the start of the Players' Championship. And then we played in Atlanta at uh, Atlanta Country Club, I think. And Jack was yeah. there. And then correct. And then we went to Fort Worth. 
A lot of people don't know this history because they don't like to talk about the days before uh, stadium, of course. TPC, yeah, right, right. I don't know, Bruce, were you there when the wind blew at Sawgrass Country Club? That would be the year or two before they moved over to the stadium. Do you? I, I remember the 10th hole that day you were talking about, and I was playing with Art Wall, and Art Wall couldn't carry it to the fairway. <laughs> it was so windy. And uh, do you remember the tenth hole there? You used to have a lake in front of it, and then it was a bit of rough for about three or four yards. And he had to go left of everything because he couldn't carry it. We had a lot of problems on that hole. In fact, Gary McCord. Remember, there was a barber's chair in the locker room, and Gary McCord. Yeah put on a hat and put on a little ticket in his hat that said press. And every guy that came in, he said, did you have any doubles, any triples? And he took, That's right, he that... took a, he, and he interviewed you in the barber's chair and he was trying to get a high ball for the. Right. The worst score on every hole. I think it was. I think it, I think it ended up being like a hundred and three. At least. <laughs> I think it was a. Yeah, 30, 31 over, I think it was. Have you ever come into a locker room and somebody said, do you, do you have any high holes? Yeah, I had a triple on number eight. <laughs> Yay, and they all start cheering. Because now they had a triple. Yeah. The, the ringer score, yeah. whatever you want to call it. The, uh, I do remember that. Was that. So that funny was so, and so spontaneous of Gary McCord. We didn't know yeah. that he was such a character then. Um, but he had his hat on and he put a little, like writers used to put a little ticket yeah. in her hat that Thing on the, press yeah. and he would yeah. interview you on the if you didn't have any high scores you had to no we don't want you <laughs> that was the tournament jc sneed i was playing with him and we were at the end of uh i don't know if it was first green or 10th green we weren't far from the clubhouse and his hat blew off remember jc used to wear those kind of straw hats and it blew off, and it started yeah. rolling on the brim. Yeah. And it started rolling across the green. And we're all over on the other side, and J.C.'s ball's way down there, and it rolled all the way down, and we could see it happen, and it ran into his ball. And he oh. got penalized for... for <laughs> <laughs> we could see it happen, and it was like in slow motion. Oh, my God. <laughs> he wasn't too happy about that. Can you imagine? Oh, amazing. Well, Al, let me, I want to take you back to that, uh, that, that TPC win of yours because uh, you led wire to wire, and you look at the scores you posted. They were all scoring records at Colonial, at least the, the first three rounds, maybe the, the, the four rounds too. Uh, 66, 68, 67, 69, 270, minus 10, uh, certainly was a scoring record there at that time. You must have been playing some pretty good golf. Yeah, I didn't know that. Eventually, they seem to shoot all those scores there now. You have to almost average 66 there, but that's a great golf course. Uh, you have to play all kinds of shots, and we all love the course. And... Uh, uh, yeah, that was pretty low scores for me because usually I didn't shoot a lot of low scores. I did better on the kind of the harder Tougher courses. courses. Yes, you did. Where a par was a par. <laughs> and uh, like fire. 
playing there twice and stuff. Yeah, this this one stood out because you know, in in addition to you and and of course Dave Stockton, who was three behind you, the only other player under par for the week was was Hubie Green. Hubie had lost a playoff at Hartford, I think, the prior week. So uh, wow. uh, the three of you played some pretty good golf and must have been under some tough conditions because nobody else scored that well. The tough conditions were it was hot. <laughs> remember it was Bruce? I don't know. Yeah, in August yeah I do remember. Something? Can you imagine going to Colonial in August? I was so hot. I remember just living from water cooler to water cooler, Gatorade. That was the first time I'd ever seen Gatorade. And they made coolers of Gatorade. And I remember surviving on Gatorade there. And that would be, so that's 1975. That's about when Gatorade started uh, back then. But uh, I seem to do well in hot conditions. I don't know. I mean, I'm miserable the whole time. But I, in a lot of tournaments that I won, the 59, were all in horrible, hot very uncomfortable condition. Nowadays, I go out and it's hot and I collapse in one hole. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I, uh, and Bruce, maybe you've heard this. I love this quote from Dave Stockton after this event. Uh-oh. Uh, he, was, he was quoted as saying, uh, 270, it's an unbelievable score. <laughs> I don't know what Al is on. I've got to find <laughs> out what he's taking and take some of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you were leading into the Al winning that year with the score and all, and you were talking about him, you know, only other one player under par was Hubert Green, and I thought you were going to say to him how much money I won that week. <laughs> how much? You Do you won remember? That week? Yeah, I mean, I won three hundred and eighty-seven dollars yeah. that oh. week, Al. <laughs> I think I won thirty five thousand. Now yeah. they're what are they going to get at the players? Uh, I'm oh, not sure. What six is it? Six and a half million. Something like that, I think. Something crazy. I mean, the the purse is probably the purse for the tournament is probably the the accumulation of all the money you guys played for in your whole careers on the PGA Tour. No doubt about that. That's for sure. And it's getting worse. <laughs> Or getting better, which uh, whichever way you look yeah, at it, right? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The, my, I remember the day my son Brent, when he played on the tour, and he won twice. He won Greensboro, Hartford, uh, Sammy Davis, Hartford, and Greensboro, and he won over a million, a million one, and that was a little bit more than I won my whole career on the PGA Tour. <laughs> when Correct. your son wins... <laughs> More than you won <laughs> yeah. your whole career, which was a lot of years, <laughs> and he got it in one turn, one week. He won. Uh, he won uh, twenty-eight years after you won at the Greater Greensboro Open. You won in seventy-six, and he won in two thousand and four. Right. Yeah, yeah. Different golf courses, but uh, still yeah. the. Uh, now they're yeah. back where I won it was Sedgefield, which. That's Correct. that's shorter course, and they shoot low scores. And Brent won at uh, can't think of the other course. Forest Oaks. Forest Oaks. Forest Oaks. Yeah. Yeah. That. Uh... Al, do you remember who you beat uh, at that tournament, and whether he was any good or not? I do. <laughs> I know who he beat. Which tournament, Greensboro? I'd... Yeah, you know who you beat. Uh, are we talking about you or Trevino? 
No, we're talking about Trevino. Oh, boy. The quiet man. Yeah. <laughs> I was leading going into the final round at Greensboro, and I'm paired with this reasonably new guy we didn't know. All he did was talk all the time, Trevino. And we start going along, and I feel like it's my tournament to win, the way things are going. And pretty soon I faltered a little, and Trevino started coming up, and the gallery started going crazy. And I remember on the uh, 10, 11, 12, 13th hole over there or something, they started cheering so hard for Trevino, I had to do something quick. And because it, it was getting out of character. Now, I have a lot of friends in Greensboro, but they weren't very, they were pretty quiet. Uh, I said, you know what I'm going to do? And I didn't know, I, this is, sounds like a Dave Stockton thing. I'm going to send all those people home miserable because I'm going to beat him. And I did. I knocked it up on the green of par five over there. And then the par three, which would be about 16. Does that make any sense? 16. And, and yeah, I remember right. hitting... Uh, like a a top flight. Remember, we could change balls. I changed to a top flight golf ball right. and hit a two iron like a bullet down there on the green and made the putt. And uh, one and that put me two, I think, two ahead of Trevino, and I and won it. But uh, but I I realized it made me so mad. These people were thought he was so funny and cheering so loud. I said, I'm going to send all those people home miserable. So. <laughs> When you see basketball teams, the home crowd, you want to send the basket, the team, the home team crowd home miserable. That's your goal. <laughs> it's probably I probably learned that from Stockton because he he thinks like that. <laughs> so Bones, the next year, you went to you played a difficult golf course. You won, had a great victory at the Western Open. You won at Butler National, one shot yeah. over Joe Porter. Uh, Butler, as we know, is a great, tough golf course. And Bob Dixon was leading. Do you remember that? And he was I do remember Bob Dixon, yes, sir. Quite a few strokes. And I'm playing with Bob and his group. And all of a sudden, Bob started faltering as the round went. And I felt, actually, I felt bad for him, you know. And it turns out, as it gets near the end, he's fallen way back. And I ended up winning the tournament. Uh, uh, and Joe Porter was in ahead of me. Yeah, that was a weird tournament because I felt bad winning over Bob Dixon. And he was like six shots ahead or something. I, I don't remember, but it was... Uh, I almost, almost apologized to his wife, Carolyn. <laughs> that was what a tough golf course, Butler. Ooh. It sure is. That's a that's a Fazio track, of course, George Fazio, I believe. And uh, um, you know, having lived there for a number of years uh, in the suburb just north of Oak Brook, I got to know that golf course and that tournament pretty well. Were you playing the previous year when uh, they had the yes. lightning strike? Yes, I was there. I wasn't too far away. I played with Dick Lotz, I remember. And uh, we were on a hole that was going away from where they we were at the green where they were. But I was going to tell you another story about ties into the 59. Because I shoot the 59 at, at Colonial in Memphis. And so 
now I've shot in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and on Friday of that Butler tournament, when we played there, I shot 81. Uh, Not the year I won. I must have been, whatever year, in 77, obviously. In 77, yeah. It was just a couple weeks later, I think, wasn't it? So Friday of Colonial uh, in Memphis, when I shot 59, 14 days later, I had shot in the 60s, <laughs> 70s, and then I shot in the 80s, 14 days later. And uh, I thought that was quite an accomplishment. Shows you how humbling the game is. <laughs> and, at, and at the uh, Memphis Open, when you shot that 59, you, you created something else that was a little different. You never shot one <laughs> round in the 60s. Not Isn't even one. <laughs> it is amazing. A statistician told me, he figured it all out, and he said, if you to shoot a score of 273, which I shot to win, and had not have right. a round in the 60s, it was impossible. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, I want to ask you, Bruce, were you there that day? I was. Yes, I was. And I, I kept looking at the scoreboard and thought they were making a mistake, to be quite honest with you. I did. I thought, the kids that are putting up those numbers, uh, they're getting some bad information because uh, if you'll remember, that wasn't the easiest golf no, course that we ever played, my friend. That was a very tough golf course back, you know, at the length we hit the ball back in those days. For I'm, I swear to God, I thought... Something's gone wrong here. That that can't be the score that Guyberg is yeah, shooting. That's why I led you into it because if you're there, <laughs> you you're one of the few remaining that uh, guys that are around that know how tough that <laughs> golf course was. And uh, of course, you make a lot of long putts that tames can tame any golf course. Now, what I don't remember is they claim we played lift clean in place, and I do not remember that. I must have been in a fog or something, but uh. yeah, and I think that I think that just only made the score that you you know I thought well see, playing lift clean in place, but you know it's still a ridiculous score. There's no yeah. you can't shoot fifty nine around that golf course. That's all there was to it. Yeah, you're. I have more people that either played there then, or came back and played U.S. Open qualifiers there that say, you know, I had respect for your 59, but now I've played it. This is unbelievable uh, Yeah, uh, how long that course was. And I still, to this day, there's no way to find out whether we played lift clean in place or not. I I don't remember doing it because the course, it was warm. People think when you lift clean in place, it's muddy and wet. It was the opposite. Remember, it was 102 or 3 that day, Yeah, high humidity. Oh, I can't remember uh, lift clean in place either, Al, to be quite yeah, honest with well, you. Yeah, well, it was about a month later, some writer said in an article about lift clean in place, and I went, we didn't play lift clean in place. There wasn't any need. It was dry. In fact, remember there was a fire uh, off where the parking lot was, and 12 cars burned up in the fire. Now, that you that doesn't happen in the... Uh, one car got on fire and they couldn't get in the rest and they just burned them all down. I remember watching the smoke from the parking lot go up in the air. That 
and it went straight up. There was no wind or anything. It was, uh, yeah. but uh, I still, I think maybe if there, well, some writer put in there lift clean a place, and so I thought. I don't remember playing Lift Clean and Place, but uh, Stockton, if you were listening to this, he'd say, yeah, Guy Ruger, you were in such a fog that you didn't know what was happening. You know, <laughs> If you hear my version of the 59 and Dave Stockton's version of the 59, we make a good Abbott and Costello because you know Dave can put the negative twist on it. And, uh, and then yeah. I'm, of course, doing the positive part. And, and we go back and forth because... Dave comes back with some, oh, but Guy Ruger, you didn't know where in the hell you were. And, you know, you can hear Dave doing <laughs> stuff like that. We've done it. We, we've done it several times. <laughs> I bet I bet you have. Guys, do you remember how hot it was that day? Yeah, it was 100. We looked, I thought it was, it was 103 high humidity. Now, I thought as time goes by, we're exaggerating. We've, they've looked it up and everything it was. Can, can you imagine 103 in yeah. high humidity? Remember, Dave and I, we were playing together, and that's another story. Uh, we walked down to the practice tee down there to the right, and it was so hot. We were, like, walking in an oven, and we hit about four balls, and we turned around and walked back. We said, said that's, that's it. It. That, uh, it was brutal because, see, we played in the afternoon. But we so teed off at the hottest time. Yeah. It was uh, – Sometimes this is what I tell people. They don't. I think, you know, they say look out for an ailing golfer. Well, if you're playing in 103 degrees with high humidity, you feel like you're ailing. And I think, yeah, that kept. I was thinking of surviving the round more than what I was shooting. You know, if things were happening. But I'm thinking, what you know, you kind of go back to the one shot at a time, one hole at a time, one shot at a time. To get to get through the heat to keep from collapsing, and I think that actually helped me mentally, because uh, once you start thinking about your score, uh, you everything happens. Once I love these fifty nine alerts when the cameras run out and they start getting hey, fifty nine alert, and they're back on thirteen. You know the guy is toast after that because the cameras <laughs> are there, the announcers are there. It's a fifty nine alert. Um, my only alert that I had was all the people showed up with three hole, three four holes to play. They ended up on the my my fifteenth uh, green. Yeah, my fifteenth green. They were all bunched there, waiting. Uh, and when I when I hold the putt, they started yelling fifty nine. But that's plenty of time to screw up from there. I'm, somehow I got it in. <laughs> You sure did. I think the most outrageous 59 alert was uh, something I just saw on Twitter uh, yesterday in the in the, uh, in the first round of the TPC. Some guy bur- birdied the first two holes, and, and the post was 59 alert with a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's another thing. People say, how do you shoot a 59? Well, obviously, I've had time to think about it. And usually you don't. And Bruce, you can chime in on this. You don't start out with six or seven birdies in a row because then it's too early. You can't hang on to all that. It's very hard to get to the clubhouse. Mine, I just started out. I went birdie, par, birdie, par, par. 
Then in the middle of the round, I went birdie, 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 eagle, birdie, birdie. Right in the middle of the round, right. I went eight under par Correct. for seven holes. And that kind of puts you in the zone because all these psychi- psychologists think they know the zone. Well, you can't just put yourself in the zone. It happens. <laughs> and I think I was drifting into the zone then. Uh, and if you start out with a... Because, well, my friend told me to remind me to tell you this. Later in the year, up in Pleasant Valley, uh, my friend Van was caddying for me because they lived there. And he and he said, don't you remember? You started out and you buried the six, first six holes and everybody went crazy. 59. Here he goes, 59. And I ended up shooting 67 or 68. <laughs> I was toast after that. <laughs> Well, there there was nothing to indicate to people that you had a 59 in you coming into that week because you weren't exactly on a roll, were you? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, the two weeks prior that I'd played, I missed the cut. And I remember my putting was yippee and everything. I remember practicing after missing the cut in Atlanta and how trying to figure out some putting stroke. Then I went home for a week and figured out something on my putting. Oh, I know, my caddy, believe it or not. Lee Lynch. Remember my caddy, Lee Lynch? I remember yeah. Lee. And yeah. Lee had, I don't know how he brought it up, but that I was aiming wrong. Uh, I can't say it like Lee. Lee didn't have any teeth. You're aiming to the right. I was aim- I lined up a little <laughs> bit right on every putt. Well, when you aim right, um, you have to correct during your stroke. Well, that makes you decelerate because if you're aiming right, you come back to the hole. It's a slowdown. You can't you decelerate. And so I started feeling like I was aiming left. Really, I was aiming straight, probably aiming left. And it just opened the door, and I started making all those putts. And I then I started to think I was invincible. And and believe it or not, and Lee Lynch was on my bag. That's another story. <laughs> Bruce, do you remember Lee Lynch? Oh, yeah, I remember Lee very Nobody well. Nobody can forget Lee very Lynch. Well. Lee Lynch, he was the mean old man, all the kids on tour, and they, they hated Lee because he was nasty to them, and they'd call him the mean old man. And he was hard. Uh, I would, he would caddy for me for a few weeks, and then I'd give him to Bobby Nichols for a few weeks, and Bobby would give him to Dave Hill, <laughs> And, uh, you know, we just passed him around and then he'd come back because uh, he was so cantankerous <laughs> and, and stubborn. People can't believe that I shot 59 with Lee. In fact, they called him two shot. Two shot means it's a penalty. two shot penalty if you had Lee on your back. <laughs> so, and I had Lee on my back for the 59. So technically I shot 57 because I had Lee on my back. <laughs> that was his claim to fame. You know what? All the guys afterwards that went up, Lee, Lee, that's great. You know, you, Al shot fifty-eight with, or fifty-nine with you on the bag and all that. And he went, yeah. He listened to me. I'd, we've shot fifty-seven. You know, he wouldn't accept <laughs> anything nice. He, no, no, no. If he'd listened to me, we'd we'd have shot fifty-seven. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like Lee, Bruce? <laughs> that sounds like Lee to me. Boy, yeah. he was a cantankerous. Uh, stubborn. A quick story. He was catting for somebody 
years after I'd, I'd finished playing. I hadn't been playing anymore. And he was still out there. And he's on catting for somebody in a group, and he's holding the pin. And Gary McCord was announcing. And he said, look at that. There's Lee Lynch. You know what? He's never going to die. He's just going to petrify. What is it? Like petrified wood? He's just going to crystallize crystallized while holding the pin someday and he basically did he he died while out on tour well al you, you shoot 59 people have to remember that was only the second round so you still had some golf to play didn't you right they picked david duvall been winning the tournament shooting 59 try shooting it in the second round and then win the tournament you're supposed to win yeah right different thing the third day when I went out there, I'm walking down the first hole and people start yelling, hey, you better win this tournament. You shot 59 in it. And I went, oh, my God, do they have any idea that that, uh, <laughs> that there was a lot of pressure? In fact, the story behind it was the pressure got so great and the heat. Uh, the last day I'm playing with Gary Player. And by the night, and I had a three or four shot lead going into the last round. Gary Player caught me by the ninth hole, and he took the lead. And it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I realized when I walked from the long, where the ninth green was, all the way to the tenth tee was a long walk, and I and I felt relief like the monkey's off my back. But I was able to regroup myself. And got and I came back, shot thirty-two. I two. think. Yeah. Did I shoot thirty-two? You did. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thirty-two to win by win by four. And I thought one of my greatest comebacks ever. I think. <laughs> That's the way to close them out. But I almost and I've seen that happen when a player has the lead for a long time and he loses it. Some of them will come back and some won't. But sometimes it's almost a relief. And they, they and if they're playing well and things are going good they're able to come back. I've noticed that happen several times since then. Uh, Al, just to finish up with that tournament, uh, and I suppose any of us that live long enough, we're all going to experience some tragedy in our life, and certainly you had, because uh, just three months prior to that victory, you lost your father in a horrific plane crash, didn't you? Right, the Canary Islands crash. When the two seven forty sevens crashed on the ground, uh, I was defending. I had gone back. I had gone to Greensboro because we had good friends in Greensboro. We were staying at their house the week before. So I, and I had an outing on Monday. So I, we came in on Thursday or Friday or something like that. Well, we were at dinner at, dinner at their house that night. And a call came from Ann Oosterhouse, Peter's wife. Because yeah. she knew my dad very well, and she's the one that told me, I hate to tell you this, but I think your dad, Ray, as she called him, uh, was on that flight. And she was the one that broke the news to me. that Because uh, uh, she she and Peter lived at their, my dad with my dad after my mother passed away for about a year or two, and so they were very close. But that was, uh, yeah, and then I... I was, you know, usually something like that happens. You quit, you go home. And we had about three days. I had an outing on Monday. And I finally said, well, I'll stay and play Monday. 
And by then, see, we didn't know whether we had to go to Canary Islands or go back to Los at home. And nobody was at home. Why go home? Nobody. Uh, so um, I'm out there at this outing for Scoville Zipper Company that Dave and I would do every year there on Monday. And the friends that I stay with in Greensboro and Dave came up to me and said, you know, Al, <laughs> almost brings tears down. You ought to stay here and play for your dad. Don't go home. Defend your title and play for your dad. And I went, no, no, I can't do that. And by then I started thinking about it for nine holes the rest of the day. And I went, you know, you're right, because my dad, uh, uh, he always wore the hat that I wore at Greensboro. He wore it for a whole year. And, you know, it was a big deal for my dad. He was always very happy when when my when I'd win or something and, and yeah. uh, they say play in his honor well I, by then I got a hold of myself and uh, you realize that in a moment like that you you can dig down deeper inside than you think you can it takes something like that to make you dig really deep and I played that week I finished fifth at, mm. uh, that year forgot who won I was criticized by a couple of players for playing when your dad has just been killed. But uh, most people thought it was good, but we were stuck. We didn't know where to go. We go home. There's my mother was was alive, and my brothers. Nobody around, and we weren't sure you didn't have to go over there to identify remains or something like. Right. So we were kind of froze there for a while. Yeah. That was a. A weird, a weird situation. Uh, but, uh, my my dad was uh, a golf nut. Didn't play very well. Luckily, I did not copy his swing. <laughs> the swing was so bad. I think I deliberately didn't copy it. But uh, he uh, he loved his golf. He just loved it. And he he. I remember when he. I'm gonna. He said, "Oh, I'm gonna retire now. This is '65." I'm going to retire now, and I'm going to start playing a lot more, and I'm going to lower my handicap. And his handicap was 12 then when he retired, and every year it went up one. <laughs> so it was about 21 or two when he passed away. He, uh, he thought sad. that getting to play a lot was going to lower his handicap. But, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure he was looking down on that 59. And yeah. my mother was, uh, she loved her golf. And she would hit it about 120 yards at the most, 100 yards. And she whistled. It was because she was nervous, but all the other ladies thought she was, it was a confident whistle. <laughs> and so both my parents playing, I was just around it. And they they were great parents because they didn't put pressure on me to, to win. You know, if mm -hmm. I won or they'd go to when I won the Southern or lose state tournaments in the state, not the state amateur. I never won that. Uh, state fair tournament, different ones I lost, and one uh, Southern Cal amateur, and things that I won or lost. They never showed a lot of emotion either way, whether I won or lost. They didn't put pressure on you to win, which I always thought, well, I didn't realize it was so great. They, uh, you weren't playing for your parents, you might say. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Everybody.
whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle, quite a way.